Welcome to the CTO Function Podcast. I'm PJ Kerner, and my goal here is to help people understand what it means to do the CTO job. How I do that is I interview people who are doing the CTO role and try to understand what they have done to succeed and build and scale companies. While I've personally done variations of the CTO job for the 15 plus years, I still find that it's a challenging and multifaceted job. And I personally learn a lot by talking to other CTOs, and I hope you do too. So in this episode, I'd like to welcome Brian Sobey, who is the CTO and co-founder of AppOmni. AppOmni provides a product to help customers secure key aspects of their SaaS application. And what's interesting about this episode is what we get to hear about is what it's like to be a startup founding CTO and what they have to do and what they have to be. And Brian also raises this idea of this CTO triad to focus, to balance his focus on customers, technology, and kind of this operational aspect. And that's an interesting way to generally think about the CTO role. And I think we'll, we'll focus on that in this episode, but I'm sure I'll use this in other future episodes. So let's get into the show. Thank you, Brian, for you know taking the time to meet with me. Um, I want to start and you know tell, sort of tell the audience a little bit about yourself, your experience in the as a CTO, and the you know the organization or places you've you've done that role. Sure, uh, thanks for having me. So I, uh, my name is Brian Toby. I am the CTO of a uh, SaaS security startup uh, called App Omni. And uh, this is actually my first go at CTO. My entire career has been on the security practitioner side of, of the world. Since I was like 19, um, it's been AppSec, software security, uh, then moving into SaaS security specifically as a practitioner. So working as in-house security for big SaaS companies, protecting their customers, things like that. And then uh, consulting largely around SaaS security. A, a good part of my practice ended up being SaaS security just because it's such a prevalent problem. And then, um, you know, my, my co-founder and I got together and said, hey, let's let's build a product to address this very personal problem space. And so that, that was my first time going from the practitioner to now the, you know, the, the vendor, the dirty vendor side of the house. And on like the totem pole, the vendors are always lower than, um, you know, th than anybody. You see all the other podcasts talking about uh, security, security practitioner slash vendor relationship concepts and, and other things like that. So that was my, this has been my first experience on the vendor side and as a CTO building solutions. No, that's great. It's, it's, it's great to, it's, I'm trying to get as many different kind of variations of people doing the CTO job from as many different backgrounds and, and points of view. That's the whole point of this, uh, podcast. Hopefully like it'll provide some insight to, you know, other CEOs or people who want to be, you know, sorry, CTOs or people who want to be CTOs. So, um, so the next question is, is share with me your thoughts on, you know, what exactly a CTO does, right? And so, and, and this is kind of your perspective, like, you know, what, what, what do you think that job, what do you think that job is? Um, so I'd say it varies a lot based on, well, Absolutely. probably mostly based on the size of the company, where they are in terms of maturity uh, as a as a kind of startup founding CEO. The job has been, you know, it started early days where it's, it's you know, the typical startup story where it's everything. Like I, I, I manage our corporate insurances and all sorts of back office related things in addition to creating the product, in addition to trying to build those teams out and over we started in 2018 and over in the last four some odd years it it's matured and it's matured a lot uh, but it still has a couple of startup-y components to it as primary responsibility so if i were to really simplify the job and i were to say that there are a couple different persona types in you know like a, a triad you have your 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 operator type that manages big orgs and they they work with largely people mm -hmm. and make sure their orgs are functioning you have your field and external personas where they're talking to customers, they're, they're doing events, they're doing those things, and they're relating the value of a product. And then you have um, like your technology types where they're, they're focused on the technology, they're focused on all those things. Um, certainly it, 
it moves. And as you mature, you pick up more of that operational responsibility because you're a little further from the field. You're a little further from the direct technology. Uh, and I think where, where I am and because it's what the company needs right now is a little closer to the field. Uh, I'm, I'm very outward facing. It's a little closer to the product and the technology and making sure that the alignment between what the product offers and what the market wants is still tight. Whereas large organizations, you have teams of people that focus on just that. And, uh, you know, I'd expect that my, um, my role will, will shift slowly more towards operational as we expand and as we get people that can, um, you know, focus on that. However, there are always some constants. Um, you know, I manage our patent portfolio and I drive the direction of, uh, key technologies and adoptions and patterns and, and things like that, that you would expect from, from any CTO as the, you know, the person ultimately that needs to make sure that technology elements are handled within an organization. That's interesting. I, I, I too actually manage the IP portfolio and I, I have uh, someone I'm going to be talking to soon who they're one of the, as a CTO, one of their primary jobs has ended up being like, it's all about patents and, and arts. A majority of it is about patents in their organization. So for me, it's just a small little slice. Um, so, so that's the, the, the triad thing is interesting between what you sort of said, you know, I'll put it customers, uh, you know, maybe technology slash engineering and um, uh, operational. Is that is that a good way to articulate it? Yeah, that's obviously stripping away a whole bunch of other stuff that is yep. has to be done, and it's just focusing on three like you know larger personas. Um, but I think that's a good a good summary of the different capabilities that you need to be trading off to different degrees based on the needs of the the company at the time. Yeah, I, I do remember the 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 days of the early days of startup where it was like, okay, take out the trash. That's your job. Like, uh, like it's, it is, it is everything. Um, I'll have to, I'll have to find somebody who's like one year in doing it and just to sort of remember the earlier, early days of, of, of being there. So, um, so, um, okay, actually, so if you were to, if you were to gauge the external versus internal, right. And maybe those, both those, like, you know, in your in your mind, where are you with that? If you put a percentage on it, I was just kind of uh, curious. Um, um, I'm probably fifty fifty right now. Okay. Yeah, because that, that's always a. I've also also found in my career, it's like it's changed. There are certain times where it's more uh, external and less internal, and and back and forth over time. It's it's uh, it's an interesting question. A lot of those okay. I get really excited when we have the opportunity to bring in somebody that specializes in it. Because I remember back in the like back in the founder sales days, where it was um, it was my co-founder Brendan and I largely doing sales. One of the things that you realize is that professional salespeople are really a lot better than you at doing that. Um, like they they know the art of the profession. Mm -hmm. So it it's been nice in every evolution of the company when we have the opportunity to bring somebody in to focus. Say, all right, now we have people that focus on partners. Uh, now we have people that, that focus on all these different areas and they, they do it better because that is their, you know, that is their profession. That, that is what they do well instead of, um, instead of somebody doing it for the first time, learning the ropes or not being able to dedicate as much time towards it as it really deserves. So it is nice when a, a new piece of that, you know, portfolio of stuff that needs to be done and just picked up by whoever it is nice when it, it gets when you get an expert, right? yeah, somebody understands the art of it. I get it. That's like, that's a good insight. Um, what, so, so what, what kind of skills? So if you were to, you know, describe the skills you think a CTO needs, you know, uh, to be good at the role. Um, I mean, obviously broad tech it, again, and I'm going to speak from my stages because these mm -hmm. are not the skills that the CTO of, some you know, IBM or something would, would need. Um, certainly a broad understanding of the technology landscape, because in my view, one of the key things that you need to do is understand what's coming and what applies to your business and what needs to be incorporated and how you need to, how you need to adapt, you know, as a product company CTO, how you need to adapt your product and your business operations uh, to address the, the changing world of, uh, technology or just the changing world overall. You know, I bet there are probably a lot of, a lot of CTOs who got uh, caught a little off balance during COVID 
and said, wow, we, we had, we have to make a very big shift in the way that our, you know, internal IT systems are, are delivered because of this. And we hadn't really thought about, I don't know, backhauling 50,000 people for a year to get to all of our business applications. And we thought that they could forever live in that, you know, data center that um, is really the, the closet of one of our offices. I think one of the, the key things is is really staying on top of technology as a whole and trends and paying attention to those. For a you know a, a product, a practicing product company, CTO like myself, it is also being an expert in our product, the value prop of our product, how our customers use it, the needs of the market, uh, and those types of things. So it's a lot of a engineering type skill set as well as a lot of product type skill set and you know a little bit of marketing a little bit of sales sprinkled in there i think if you're going to be if you're going to be the founding cto of a of a product company then you need to be deep in your product area and and understand the ins and outs of how it applies and be able to relate that and i think that's kind of a unique area of of, of small product companies and the relationship with the cto there versus uh we are a Know, we're FedEx or something like that. And we use a lot of technology and the technology facilitates the operations of our product, but is not necessarily the product. You know, the skill sets are, are very different, I would think. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. That's, I mean, that's, um, yeah, the founding CTO, you know, of a product company, right? Like that is, that is definitely a unique set of skills. Um, any, uh, like, Okay. One other related question you hit on it a little bit is I, I talked to people about breadth versus depth, right? And you sort of said have a, you know, a broad understanding of technology. And you know, there are people who who are very broad, and you sort of you know scratch that surface, and they sort of like crumble, right? But it's also not good to be. You don't need all of the depth. What is your what is your what is your balance point on you know broad versus you know deep? Any any thoughts there? I think understanding it enough to know how it applies and know, certainly know if it's going to be disruptive. Okay. I think everybody has gone through this with like all the chat GPT hype, like, okay, let's understand uh, exactly the different areas where this new technology can apply to our business to see if it's like, does this op open us up to, um, to applications that could be disruptive to what we do? Does this fundamentally change anything? or is just this kind of a, like a flash in the pan or overhyped or something like that. Like you, you must be able to do that. You must be able to evaluate technology and identify whether or not um, it, it's going to be a core component of your industry, your business, if it allow you to operate more efficiently, if it allow a competitor to operate more efficiently, anything like that. Um, I think that is, that is about the right level for breadth. And then there is the level in which you specifically operate in that uh, at, because of our industry and our stage, that's something that that I think you would need to be very deep in and deeply, deeply understand your your use cases and your product area and how it applies and trends in that industry and things like that. You need to be as deep as possible such that you know you can you can help steer the ship best. Here's a, um, well, how do you how do you decide? Because I'm actually not kind of curious. How do you like I agree with you, you have to understand, you have to try and understand if something's disruptive. Do you, how do you, how do you think about that? Like, how do you, like, I'm, like, I think we're all wrestling with the, everybody's wrestling with the chat GPT thing. Like I have some opinions, but I don't think I've decided whether it's disruptive or not. I know I need to pay attention to it. Right. Um, but, but, but maybe like, do you have a, like some criteria you use around like potential disruption? I'm kind of curious about that. I mean, not really formal criteria. I think there are going to be certain industries where um, the, the people within those industries need to be very seriously looking at that particular example, like um, long form content generation, where it doesn't really need to be correct. It just needs to be lots of content. Uh, and there are industries that, that live in that space. And there are whole companies built around, uh, let's stand up, you know, SEO and things like that. Let, let's stand up a bunch of just content farms that will, will drive eyeballs to our ads. Like, yeah, it's going to be materially disruptive for them because it's fairly low value, but lots of content. Um, and I think that you just need to look at 
I mean, look at the potential for for that to change the way that you need to operate. Yep. And I think this happens from time to time. It happened with, with cloud. It happened with SaaS. It happened. I mean, I worked at Salesforce, and uh, Salesforce was it is famous for really calling kind of the future delivery of of business applications and saying, no, this is going to work like. I think the quote was, um, we want business software to be delivered like Amazon. And I, I remember actually seeing some of the like the V1, V2 prototypes at Salesforce because they maintained a system where you could look at any version. And when you go back far enough, they, they just ripped off like Amazon V1 style sheets. Like it just looked literally like, like original Amazon. Um, but it's that kind of concept to say, you know, the CEOs of, of or the CTOs of product companies in that age, in the, the 1999 um, phase, needed to see, okay, we're starting to see that software is being delivered purely online instead of being shrink-wrapped. We need to be wary of this because this is potentially disruptive to our model. And I think that was one of the biggest misses for a lot of organizations, was being slow to switch to that and slow to say, okay, we need an adaptation of our single tenant on-prem product to be delivered in a way that customers are going to ask, be asking for in the future. And it, it's something like that where you just need to, I, I'm sure there are probably criteria somewhere. I'm sure there are management consultants that are more than happy to develop formulas for evaluation, but uh, I think a lot of it's gut. Well, I, I was, it's, it's kind of interesting now because um, I was, I was, you were talking, I was thinking about how we do it and there, okay, because there are obvious ones. Back to your content farm, right? Like you, like you, like if, if you were the CTO of one of those, you know it's disruptive. There's not, there's, there's, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Um, and I was thinking about what we do. We do have a, at least a two tier list of things. Like these are the things we're paying attention to, right? So they, they, they do represent the, the things that we're not sure about, but we definitely need to get a good, good eye on those. And I do invest in them, like looking at those. And then there's a t there's a tier below that, which is the, yeah, we probably should be paying attention to those. And we're not, I don't invest in those, um, but I do review that list uh, periodically. Um, and that's not really a framework for it. It's just, but it is a process. Um, interesting. I didn't think, I ever didn't think I, I didn't ever think about that but but that does that does putting them in tiers make sense um, at least being able to, at least being able to classify them somehow but yeah i don't have criteria i kind of use my peers and so on interesting um I probably adopt that 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 seems better at least tracking them as watch lists seems uh seems better than the, the more informal way that that i do it typically uh, the um it's it, it, i do have people who i can uh you know assign some of these things to okay um well, good insight out of that. I, 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 um, do you have any other kind of like, and this has got a really open-ended question about, you know, philosophies or frameworks you use to do the, your, your CTO job? Um, um, so for me, a lot of it is what can we adopt that is not immediately going to be rejected as too much process? Um, that, especially when it comes to engineering management and product planning and stuff like that. That That's always the balance. And that's purely a function of the size of our organization. Um, so, so tell me a little bit more about that. That's interesting to me. I mean, we, we went through an exercise uh, yesterday, the day before, looking at uh, engineering and product metrics and what can we track about our organization to, that most, most closely reflect business value. And we got it from one of our investors that has lots of experience with... Um, with, with lots of different companies and has, has views on which metrics uh, they care about. And so we were trying to adapt those to our organization. And some of them make a ton of sense. Some of them would make a ton of sense in a larger company. Some of them, we simply can't take the overhead of following the level of rigor that would be necessary to, to do that in a disciplined way to get good data. And it feels like that is, that is a common balance. It's to say, okay, well, we would love to get this. Uh, we do not have a team of people that can maintain or collect this type of thing, uh, nor can we burden the, the overall execution of the organization by pushing this down and saying, okay, the thing that used to take five minutes is now a 20 minute process because you have to do all these other things. You have to categorize, you have to uh, show these other um, or, or, or otherwise organize it in such a way where we can start collecting data around it. We can start to do that. So 
we as an organization i think that we are we are just getting to the point now where we can where we get benefit from a lot of those more formal frameworks and structures because we're getting to the point we have i don't know 140ish people right now and maybe 60 of those are in the technology organization and uh, we're getting to the point where scale is is really starting to, to crop up in, in concerns to say, okay, we need to make sure that we are prepared to really start growing. And what, what happens if we double the overall technology team? And can we effectively utilize all of those additional people? And if you're doing everything on an ad hoc basis, that's not the case. And that's kind of the inflection point where you start to say, okay, we need to be more disciplined how we go, how we do this and, and adopt more frameworks. We're also doing the same thing on, um, you know, more human resources side things. How do we align the whole company, not just the technology organization, but align the goals of the technology organization with that of the, the company as a whole and really, you know, do these cross-cutting efforts. But we're at a, we, App Omni as a company is at an interesting phase where we're just now getting, getting to the right size to start adopting more formal frameworks for a lot of different problems. It's interesting. I remember the 150 point, you know, you know M, and like there's the there's the whole research about a tribe like being a, like around 150 people is like the tribe size and when you cross over that kind of you know tribe size communication does change and it have to evolve so that sounds like the right thing to be doing um uh just if if you and, and maybe you don't want you maybe can't uh share but like is there a specific me- like i'm kind of curious about a metric that you did adopt for the size you are at right a metric you did adopt it was clear and a metric you clearly you didn't adopt even like, and it was clear you shouldn't like because of you know it was going to be too much overhead. I was just uh, I don't know if you had any specifics or. Um, so some of the ones that we did were um, uh, what are good examples that aren't going to seem superficial. They, they were we went through a list of probably thirty. Um, some of them well some of them did not did not really apply to our business or we weren't mm-hmm. aligned philosophically with that concept like um, um, defects per lines of code and things like that. Like, well, we don't, we don't necessarily want to encourage the gamesmanship that, that measuring things on a line of code basis would, would encourage. Uh, this is not a legacy code base that uh, wouldn't be subject to that. Uh, others were, um, I don't know, you have your standard financial metrics. Those are really, in, those are really uh, easy. Um, I don't know. Others are, are, we're still experimenting with them to see how much value. We want to track them over a couple of months. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. I will tell you one thing we did and it was, and I don't, I don't have the specifics either because I can't remember all the details, but like it was, there was a granularity problem. Like engineers really like to have high granularity, uh, you know, just maybe it was something about time or it was something about that. And, and once we chose the kind of coarse granular, like, is it a day or is it a week or is, you know, or like, and, and then we only chose, like you only had those choices. You were limited in the granularity. Um, it actually sort of unlocked a few kind of uh, options for measuring things. Cause you didn't, you, cause you get into the, well, what does it mean to be like, you know, 0.8 of this or 1.2 of this? Like, and then you're spending all this time trying to figure out and argue about those things. Um, uh, but that was, that was an interesting conversation we have. One of my um, key concerns is really trends more than numbers. Exactly. That's a that's a good that's a great point. The number may not really matter, especially when you compare um, one of our one of our investors, uh, Scale Ventures, has great great data about a lot of different areas of the business that they can give you, and they they say, okay, well, we do have the ability to normalize this to companies of your size and of your thing, so you can get more value out of those, and that helps. But a lot of the metrics we don't have the ability to normalize against like companies. And so all we can look at is, is it going in the right direction? Wherever we are, that, that could be fine, that could not be fine, we can have those arguments, but are we trending you know, up and right or down and right or whatever direction we're supposed to be going with those? And some of those are on a per team basis. Some of those beyond this particular delivery team, we can't compare across teams because the way that they operate is different or you know, your classic like story point problem of, of cross team story points, a lot of those other things. So maybe this team is great at predictability and delivery, um, in this team, the numbers that they have would just need to be adjusted for something. And that's, you know, opaque voodoo. No, and I, and I like that too, because that, that kind of takes some of the, like when you're just looking at trends, like some of that, 
you, if you if you t- focus too much on precision, you you kind of get bogged down in those things. So trends are a way to sort of o- open up some of those conversations. Um, let's. I want to talk about like the organization a little bit. Like so, like so. One is how does how does the organization measure your success? So like like how do you, how do you know you're doing your job as it relates to other people, right? Like, yeah, I mean that. Given our size and our our uh, industry, that that's all outcomes. Now, are we is the is the product successfully winning competitively? Uh, is are we getting is the product uh, is the value prop selling at the the level that we want or better than the level we want? Is are we able to be responsive enough to customer requests and changes? Are we able to adapt to new directions? We're in a very greenfield space. So there's no there's no other product that we can point at and say, oh, we're just cloning that thing, but trying to do it better. This is a, a totally net new um, <clears throat> a net new space. And one of the hallmarks of that is we need to be prepared to move quickly. Uh, oh, there's this category of feature that uh, is really needed given this developing concern within the market. Let's let's go and envision what that could be and come up with a comprehensive way to incorporate that into the overall product vision. And are we, are we getting there and are we staying when customers raise that um, this is a growing concern of theirs, are we ahead of it sufficient where their satisfaction is high? And then you have, you know, your on the product company side stuff, you have all your net promoter score and other things, which is a reflection of a few different organizations within the company. Um, so there are the hard metrics that are a bit composite because it's not purely um, it's not purely the technology organization or the technology operations kind of organization um, that reflects larger on the company as a whole. And then you have, you know, simply is the, the business is the technology organization enabling the business to perform as needed. Okay. Um, one other thing that I've found interesting talking to people is pick like two key peer functions. Like some people talk about how they interact with sales or how they interact with marketing or how they interact with their you know engineering teams or maybe their CEO or whatever, um, or support and services. Like pick two and like and kind of what 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 service do you provide? Like as this as the CTO, what do you provide to them? Right? Like like what is your cause I find sometimes exploring kind of those individual kind of like functional, you know, relationships is an interesting way to sort of think about the job. Sure. Well, yeah, as I said before, I'm about 50, 50 external internal right now. Yep. So obviously the external groups are customer support organization or sales organization uh, are, are a good portion of, of my time personally. And I think for those, a lot of it is um, helping solve challenges for like, how, do, how does our product map to needs of the customer and how can we solve their use cases with the product? And so that's going back a lot to the, kind of the founding CTO background where mm-hmm. I also happen to be a subject matter expert in addition to being the CTO. And so a lot of that comes into play to say, you know, I, I like a lot of members of the team here, I have lived this life. I am, you know, I, I deeply understand the problem set. And so it is applying that to, uh, to a sales opportunity or to a, a new need that an existing customer has and explaining the, the overall problem space, explaining the overall uh, application of the problem, the product and how it solves their problem and how it solves their problem better than, than other approaches or other products or something like that. Um, those are probably the two groups that I have like the, the most direct personal, uh, personal value delivering and not my, my whole technology org. A lot of those are, uh, it is you know, me as an individual interacting directly with the groups and, and, and providing something to them. Yeah. It, it, it's, how much of that is pre-sales, like pre-getting the PO and post-getting the PO? I'd say like you, you kind of, it was interesting. You kind of explained it. It's kind of the same thing and, you know, it's for customers, right? And whether it's before the, they buy or after they buy, I'm kind of, you know, you know, curious about, uh, curious about that. I think it, it leans a bit more towards uh, pre-sales. And, and things like that, just because our, uh, you know, our support team understands our product very well mm-hmm. and they have had an opportunity to uh, hear the customer use cases 
and work with the customers hand in hand and, um, and, and really get deep into the needs and make sure that the, how they're employing things are, are really solving their problems. But on the pre-sale side, you get every curveball imaginable. And the pre-sale side, it, it ranges from, you know, we just want to sit back and, and find out the bad stuff about SaaS security and where we may have problems to here is a list of 822 specific things that we need to do. And, um, you know, how does, how does everything get employed such that it satisfies these? Um, and so I think you get a lot more curveballs there. And it helps to get, get deeper in those and make sure that uh, folks understand the, the overall landscape of our, our, of our particular problem and how the, again, as a product company, how the product best solves those things. No, and I think that's, I think that's another good insight because, uh, which I agree with it's, it's once they've bought it, at least they've, they've had some amount of, you know, they've had the sales experience, whether it's with you or not, they bought the product, they have, they, they kind of know what it is. They're in a little bit more of a constrained space. So less curveballs, right? When you're talking about the, your sales organization, the pre-sales you know, part, then that's where you get a lot more of those. Uh, that, that, that's a interesting way to think about it. I haven't, I, 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 uh, I find that interesting. Um, it also, you know, people have to be prepared. I think, I think if like back to, you know, people who want to do that job, people have to be prepared for those, you know, curveball things and be comfortable with those. And I think some people are, and some people are already kind of, there's a per- little personality part of being comfortable with, uh, you know, a little bit of uncertainty or make it up or, or, you know, be able to tell a story, uh, you know, um, on demand. Um, so as a, as a technologist, I really enjoy working with our sales engineering team. Um, I threaten them all the time that we're going to steal them and, and hide them in a, some deep, dark engineering dungeon and have them contributing, contributing to like core product features because it's, uh, it's really enjoyable working with a team that is, is great at technology. They're great at their craft and they, they're experts in solving problems. Uh, it's, it, it's been a, especially for me coming from the security practitioner side of the house, I found that it really is a lot of fun building stuff. And it's a lot of fun building things that solve real problems. And that's, that's probably been the, the most enjoyable difference between my, you know, my former life and now is being able to build a product that, that people enjoy using and, and solves real problems and working with other like-minded people that are, are really good at that. I don't know. I, I like that. That strong relationship with SEs is a really good point as well. Um, Okay, back to like um, back to that. So this is an interesting question. It's it it or I've found it an interesting question. Talk to different people about kind of in what I'm going to call the office of the CTO, right? And like kind of people you know around your circle of you know like what makes a good hire for that kind of role? Because um, it's kind of different in different areas, but like. Um, so we are we are definitely not big enough to have an office of the CEO as a as a standing function. Uh, we do obviously have uh, folks that are, you know, their respective business area leaders. And uh, for me at this phase, only being able to about, give about half my time as being inward looking. One of the big things is people that are really, um, really masters of their respective areas and they can that are very good leaders that have very good vision for their area and are good at um, building and operating their functions and that can, can understand the vision of the company where it needs to go and can independently execute into that direction with uh, not a lot of, um, you know, certainly not at that level, there's, there's nobody that is not, you know, very seasoned but people that, that can draw on a lot of experience and say, okay, this is a familiar problem. Let me refer to my history of, of doing similar things and pattern recognition and saying, okay, I've tried, I've tried four different approaches to this particular problem in previous lives. Um, approach number two worked out the best. And so I think that that's something important, not just that's, and that's not a, a CTO concern per se. That's more of a uh, fast-growing company concern to make sure that you have leaders that bring a lot of experience to the board that can can execute on the vision of their areas and and really pay attention to what's happening within their orgs and, and go from there. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I I think you already shared with me 
but but I want to tie it back to the other question. I think you've already shared with me and, the, and everybody out there the um, you know your career path. Because like, I ask I ask where do CTOs come from, right? And um, you shared me with yours. Any other thoughts on that? Because it, it kind of go hand in hand. If if you know when you as you get bigger and there's you know the office of the CTO, there will be people. There will those will be people potentially that will want you know your job or you know um, a job like yours in the future. Where do you think they come from? Where were the like? Um, where do you want to like? I mean, you could say all you'd like to have all practitioners, right? That's a that'd be an interesting uh, way to build that group. But what what do you think? Um, well, I think um, I mean, so my the path that I took is is fairly established. It is the the person who is who, who has a very personal relationship with the problem that the the product company that they are starting addresses. Um, I mean, that there, there are countless startup stories that fall exactly that. Like, mm-hmm. I did this one thing at you know this place or these several places, and it became and, and came to very deeply understand the problem and observed that there was no solution, and went to create a product that solved it. Like that, you get that all the time. It's probably half the startups. Mm-hmm. You, you have startups that do that, and then you have startups that have a, you know, it's either a lift and shift into, you know, bring something, oh, but for cloud, um, or you have, um, you know, solutions looking for a problem that that swim around for a while and, and try to see if anybody wants to employ it. Like, casually, those are kind of the three main themes that, that I think of immediately when I think of startups. So certainly deeply understanding your space and having a personal relationship with a, a growing problem that you know is a pain point to me is an excellent way to uh, become a, a CTO. Like if you are the, the technologist in that relationship, uh, certainly starting a company is not something that I think you want to do by yourself. There is a lot of work that needs to be done and uh, single founders have, have a big hill to climb by themselves. Whereas when you get to do it with other excellent co-founders, which I'm lucky enough to have had the opportunity to do, um, you get to load balance out a little bit. And uh, while my my co-founder is certainly a technologist in his own right, um, he's also a very accomplished leader and, uh, and and has done has done excellent in that role. Um, and so my um, <clears throat> my kind of natural way to fall into this uh, organization and this company was on the technology side, building the product. Um, and started doing that early. So I would certainly encourage that approach. Uh, I'm, I'm less excited about the speculative product way of, of doing things. Uh, I am an enterprise person to begin with. I am not consumer tech or anything like that. Um, I, I would be a terrible persona to do some sort of consumer tech uh, CTO company, especially things around you know um, social media or something like that. That would be a total miss for me. But do something that you are are have a deep relationship with, I think is probably the best way to get into it. No, that's great. That's great advice. Um, no, that's That's incredible advice for like, uh, people wanting to be that founder CTO. Um, let me, this might be the furthest thing from your mind, but I always ask it is like, where, and, and maybe you have, you know, uh, people, you know, it's like, where do CTOs go after being a CTO? And I've had the, Nowhere, they're just like there are there are people who just love this job and just want to like do this job forever, right? But I'm kind of curious about uh, if you have any thoughts on that. Um, I mean, probably three main areas I would say. Either you either, and again, this is me being biased with my my startup hat. Um, you either do it again and build something else, and you build it on the technology side. You do it again and you build something else, and maybe you try it on the CEO side. You uh, look at, okay, I've done the operator story. Now I'm going to try the investor story. And you go towards, I'm going either, I'm going to vet companies that people invest in, or I'm going to actively invest as a, you know, as a partner in a, in an investment firm, because I have a deep insight into a particular area. I, I believe I can now call the market better than anybody else because I have operated in this environment. I'd say those are probably the three most common. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think there are there other approaches that, that you see a lot? I, I certainly oh, no, I, don't I, see a lot I, of jumping ship into like marketing or anything like that. 
I know I, I actually so p- part of it I'm, I'm curious I want I actually want to get some people on this thing about that that are that are pat like not CT like past the CTO thing and I want to actually ask them about their journey earlier and why they sort of like moved like uh, like you I'm in that role so um, uh, I kind of want to just I want to hear the different opinions I don't have anything uh, to add but I, I mean I agree with what you said that that those make sense um, um you, you kind of so I'll say I, I so one more question is around you know different type so different types of CTOs and you sort of talked about this a little but I'll tell you a story I I saw somebody on LinkedIn who, who literally put in their LinkedIn title was hands-on CTO and I was like I have no idea what that means like why like why do they feel the need to put hands-on. And I know there are some people who fall into the, whatever, what I'll call the chief talking officer CTO, right? And that like really go 100% external. And and maybe this was a counter to that in the organization they were in, but um, any other flavors of CTO or any insights on why somebody needed to put hands-on on their, on their on their, so, in their title. Um, if I saw that on somebody's LinkedIn page, I would have immediately have gone to their job history and looked for huge companies. Because if they did a stint at some massive company that is known for more talking than doing, then perhaps they did that as a way to um, mitigate some of the, the image versus what they, they believe that they were. To say, all right, I did a, I, I know I did a stint at this 50,000 person company, but honestly, I really am still in the technology. I can talk to technologists at a, at a deep level and things like that, where if you are, if you are the CTO at a 50,000 person company, you are focused on operating your org more than anything else. Yeah. And if some new technology comes, um, <clears throat> comes about, you have people that you ask to look at it for you, or you go to your, um, you know, your engineering fellows that are, are supposed to be, you know, the equivalent of like your warrant officers and say, okay, you're very, very high, but you are still in the technology. Uh, please go evaluate those things. And it's possible that this person felt that uh, their persona would not be at first glance uh, interpreted the same way that they felt that they actually were. So, I mean, that's what I would have done if I would have seen that. Certainly other personas are, you know, you have that true operator that would would be, make an excellent CTO at a big company. They would make an excellent CIO. They could probably plug into various um, various groups that aren't even technology related and do a great job because they are truly masters of, of operating business units and orgs and uh, in managing those things. Uh, you certainly have your, your field people that they are great on the talking circuit and they do an excellent job at that and they have huge respect within their industry for their public presence. You know, they, they're, they're, it's a lot of different ways to add value to a company. And I yeah. think that one of the keys are recognizing where you are able to spend your time and making sure that you have a team. And this kind of goes back to your team question earlier with the office of CTO, make sure that you have a, a team that can dedicate time towards those other areas. And I think the other thing was when you were, you were, you were making me think about like you had, you had that triangle of, you know, you sort of said the customer focus, you know, maybe that's external, the engineering focus and that operator focus. I mean, as the company gets bigger, that triangle kind of gets bigger. And like the people just like they either go to one end of the triangle, like there's no way to live in the middle of that triangle and do all those jobs when the organization is huge, right? At the, when the organization is small, you can sort of move around and navigate all those things just enough. Uh, but, but yeah, it's probably somebody who lived at one end of the triangle and and, you know, wanted to sort of, you know, um, make sure everybody understood where they were. Um, I think you have to move around. And I think that's, the, especially if you're staying within the same organization, the organization's growing, where you're able to spend your time is going to be dictated by the needs of the company at a, at a given place in time. And you may have started off all the way on one side and then the company grew and that's no longer the best use of your time. So you uh, you move elsewhere in that within that triangle. Yeah. I'll have, to add, I'll have to add that to my list of questions when I talk to big company CTOs to sort of see how, like what moving means and how valuable that is. And maybe it's key to you know, success and, you know, health at large organizations. I, I, uh, it's a good question. I'll have to ask some more. Um, 
do you have any okay what well, last question on the role for a second is what and you've kind of talked about this is what what is the role of the cto as it relates to like the innovation of the company like like what is like um what is your you know your responsibilities around innovation so in in my world small product company it is um you know at our size right now it's largely guiding the innovation mm -hmm. earlier on it was innovating like it was actually sourcing stuff um <clears throat> certainly with the 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 inception of the company and, and all of that, it was being the direct driver behind it. And now it's largely supporting our, you know, our, our product and engineering teams and their innovation. And, and that ties into the patent portfolio and looking for opportunities there to say, wow, this is, this is an excellent, an excellent innovation that, that, you know, this team has come up with. Why don't we tie in? Why don't we start talking about uh, patentability here and, and creating that portfolio? It's it's very much in the shepherding and guidance phase, at least for me right now. I, I like that. I like that as an idea. What what what? So beyond the IP, the the, the patent part, which I get, what else do you consider guidance? Like how like explain guidance a little bit more. Like how do you what do you do to guide them? Uh, maybe example or something. Uh, like what does that mean? Um, um, looking at different applications of things, giving people ideas. To say, oh, this is, could you also, uh, we have customers asking for X, Y, and Z. Could that be applied in such a way that it also solves this problem? Or can we step back and can we talk about that more generically such that we can solve a multitude of problems with the same approach? And this becomes a foundational capability on which a whole suite of things are built. And so you may have people that come up with excellent creative ideas to solve certain problems. Um, it's applying pattern recognition to seeing if maybe that solution also applies elsewhere. And if we like, how, what is the maximum bang for our, our product and engineering buck that we can get by creating that thing? Yeah, I mean, it definitely sounds like you're talking about being a strong sounding board for some of these folks who have these ideas. And, and it sounds like mixing in some of the external content, like the so the customer point of view uh, is what I was saying. Mixing in the customer point of view into that, you know, being a sounding board for people. Yeah. And you know, being a communications conduit and making sure that all teams are talking to each other and um, that everybody has the information that they need to, to really be the most successful that they can be. But we... It's been a privilege to work with some of the the talented teams that we have and seeing some of the the very creative things that come out of those teams. I've, you know, that's been one of my one of my other really enjoyable experiences with this role. That's great. So um, let's talk technology for just a few minutes. It's tell me about something you know, that is undergoing some significant change in the technology space and maybe what's driving that change and what challenges are coming from that change. Um, any, 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 any thoughts there about what's going on now? Um, I mean, we have certainly the way that COVID changed, changed the landscape of how people work, uh, communication and how teams are going to talk to each other, how teams can, if people are not going to have FaceTime all all the time, how can we compensate for some of the the negatives of that? You know, because it's a lot it's a lot easier to have tension in a relationship when you're using Slack and you're using email and you're using more informal communication. I mean, we see we see this in the internet all the time. Like people are seriously mean on the on the internet when they would never do that to somebody's face. And so how do we adjust for those things? What are those communication tools that we have and how do we hybridize them such that, you know, we, we do still get people FaceTime, whether it is you come into the office a couple of days a week or we do offsites or something like that uh, versus daily communication when we know people are, are highly distributed. And how is, how is technology delivered to people that are technology workers? I mean, my, my comment about Salesforce in 1999 identifying SaaS as being a totally new delivery way, I think that's only been heightened with, with COVID. And people are saying like, all right, whatever, we can't, it does make any sense to have our 
uh, all of our stuff sitting in these data centers anymore with all of our people operating all over the place. People are uh, not only are they working from home, but their homes are becoming more decentralized. People are moving to like the mountains of Montana because that's just now that they're remote, why not do it? And so what are the different, what are the different approaches to, you know, zero trust and, and other things related to let's no longer backhaul people. Let's have them go direct to different applications that exist outside of our corporate networks. And how do we do that? And this, again, this is me being biased in, um, both a, a product company as well as a security person. You know, naturally, I think of what are the what are the security implications to this changing landscape. Um, <clears throat> and, but that's that's a problem that I'm again that that is my problem space. That is something that I'm I'm intimately familiar with, for for better or for worse. And um, the, the timing just happened to work out well that uh, COVID shifted the problem more towards an area that in which I have direct experience instead of away mm-hmm. from. Oh, that makes sense. Um... So any, before we do the kind of like lightning round, any other final thoughts? Um, no, but I, again, I do appreciate you uh, having me on here. I think that the series that you're doing uh, is really important. I think I'm going to go back and watch some of the other personas and probably see mistakes I'm making or things that I probably should have done better, but um, I, I'm excited to, to go through your whole series. No, there, there, there's, 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 I'm getting lots of connections between things. I hear lots of similar things between people, but and then lots of differences. And yeah, I like. Uh, I think this, you know, back to your point about COVID, I, I can't get all these people together and to sort of discuss it. So you know, this is a, a way to sort of facilitate, um, you know, different people understanding different parts of the of the CTO job. And and then I am like I am I do find it, back to like. I want to get as many different perspectives, on uh, many different points of view and many different company sizes. Cause that's another thing I've heard, as you pointed early on, it's like, what, what happens early, you know, what happens at, you know, sub 500 post 500 thou, like these are all kind of different things. You know, there's, I, I'm trying to get as many points of view on. And I think that's a, a, a fascinating thing to be able to learn from somebody who has done it a different way than you do. And what, what do you sort of see similar and what can you sort of learn? So, you know, thanks for, thanks for taking the time. There are lots of uh, good insights from you. And you made me think of a few things uh, myself. So, um, okay, last, last few things for people. I always, I always find this interesting. I've seen other people do this at the end of the podcast is like, um, what, what's a book that you, you know, recommend? Um, <clears throat> one of my favorite books is called The, uh, the Mission, The Men, and Me by Pete mm-hmm. Blaber. I believe the subtitle is something like um, Business Lessons from a Delta Force Commander which it, it's a very interesting approach to, uh, he literally you know, led a unit in Delta Force and he's saying, here are key takeaways that apply not only in, in that world, but also in a business world, you know, empower your people and folks. And uh, it's presented in a way that is extremely uh, relevant, taps into real world scenarios and doesn't come off sounding like a business book, um, which is, I think is probably everybody would agree like the most important aspect of the business book is that it not sound like a business book and read like a business book. Um, so this, it does an excellent job. I think the, all the lessons are very relevant and, um, I really enjoyed it. That's great. So what about a podcast? So I don't listen to a ton of podcasts. Um, after I go back and start yours, that'll probably be the single most listened to podcast that I've ever listened to. Um, all in I've looked at, uh, I've watched a couple of times and, um, I enjoy that. Uh, there aren't really a lot of others that I've I've gotten into it. I don't know. It's just um, not a not a format that I consume too much. Yeah, I I, I dropped way off during COVID because when I do, it's it's mostly during like a car ride, right? Like uh, you know, to and from work, and and so no COVID, no car ride, and I I, I fell off the bandwagon for a while. So, um, um, what about a movie or TV show? Um. <clears throat> Let's see. I, uh, a TV show I'm watching currently. Probably Jack Reacher, I think, is um, one that we're watching. We just saw the new Avatar. Uh, my wife and I went on a date night and uh, 
we're able to go to a movie theater, which is something we only do like every three years because we have two little kids and date nights are extremely rare. Um, new Avatar in 3D, which is very interesting. Um, yeah, it was, it was good. It was entertaining. It was fine. But I have, uh, unfortunately, very little current movie experience. My Audible account is insane because that's what I listen to in the car. Um, so I have 500 books in my Audible account. Um, that's what I use instead of radio or anything like that. But I don't get a lot of visual stuff because it's traveling is when I'm consuming it. That's interesting. No, my RC so is a big fan of the Jack Reacher series. So uh, I've, I've seen that too. So, um, and then one more, just like last one is like one tech that you love, like, and it, and this is like, the, like maybe a random consumer tech or something like something that, you know, just, you know, you, you, when you got, you just like you had to tell people like, uh, you know, about something, something. Um, <clears throat> so I've really appreciated uh, my, my kids are five and eight and they, they have started um, in trying to invent things. And um, I, I remember probably six months ago, they're like, all right, can we go get stuff to build and they they described this very elaborate contraption that they had and their idea for stuff to build it was like let's go get some sticks and some rubber bands and some somehow build this thing and i remember as a kid i had a notebook with different you know inventions most of which probably already existed in some form or another and you know it was just in my to my kid brain it was very new and my my biggest problem that i had as a kid was executing on those inventions and I came to the conclusion that where we are in today's world, there's no reason, no reason for that to be the, my, a, a stopping point for the ideas that my kids have. Um, <clears throat> and so I ordered a 3D printer and I said, okay, well, I have no idea how to use CAD software, uh, but Thingiverse is out there and I can, you know, smash a keyboard enough to, to modify things that I download to roughly fit the needs of what the kids are thinking. And so um, that's been a big thing that I've been doing with them has been, uh, okay, let's, you want to do this thing? Let's find some, because I can't do it from scratch. Let's find something fairly, fairly close or a couple things and we'll put them together. And then we will go through the iterative process of improving those things. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that I have lined up um, on a couple of like workbenches where it's like, here's V1 to V5. And that we, at each step, we improved the new thing. At this point, we broke it. And then you wrote in your notebook a new, you drew a new version of it that improved upon that. And then I mangled it in Fusion 360 and roughly got a design for it. And then we made another version and that had this next process. Um, so I'm really excited that we're at a place in this world where we can do things like that. And we can do things like that at a, you know, at a kid level, you don't need to be a, a grad student or something to be able to iterate on these things. And I think what that's going to do, uh, at least my, my hope is that it's going to expand the way that kids think about the world and think about their interaction with the world, such that their, their dreams don't stop at a notebook and their normal process that they've been doing since childhood is, I'm going to think about a thing. I'm going to, um, I'm going to create it on paper and then I'm going to execute. And after I execute, I'm going to iterate on that and I'm going to make it better. And it's my hope that, that kids shift to that process of, oh no, your dreams actually become something And your only question is how many iterations of that do you want to, do you want to go? It's not your dreams just stay dreams. It's that you can, you can continue beyond that. Um, ah, that is awesome. The 3D printer. And that, that was kind of a revelation for me. That, 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 that I mean, that is a, that is an awesome story. I think that that is great. And yes, I, I as a kid, I would have loved to have one of those things. And um, so it'd be great to see how they, to see what they do and uh, how that sort of, uh, you know, pans out over time. But it's, yeah, being able to put those physical things in people's hands, I think it has to be an amazing way to you know invent and explore so i would i would love to see them in schools i would love to see a an innovation class 
largely driven around that kind of theme to say, no, in this class, we make real things. And then we find out what we did wrong and we fix them and we make them better. And then we, you know, we come to a working, uh, a working version of what you dreamed. I think that would, that's a different mindset than most kids end up with. Oh, that's great. That's a great idea. All right. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it all the time. Uh, there's lots of great insights in this. All right. Well, thanks again. All right.